Hello and welcome to Logical, the legal podcast from the Dubai-based law firm HPL, Yamanova and Plethka and the UAE's first legal podcast. As always, our razor-sharp legal brain with me is Ludmilla Yamalova. She is the managing partner of the Dubai-based law firm HPL, Yamalova and Plethka. Always good to see you. Lovely to see you too, Tim. Thank you for hosting this once again. Our special guest is Dr. Sama Al-Abd. She is an Egyptian-British child and adolescent consultant psychiatrist. She's been practicing medicine in the UK since 1985, in Dubai since 2015. Uh, Dr. Al-Abd practices at Keith Nicholl Medical Center here in Dubai and at the Cromwell Hospital in London. Dr. Sama, it's great of you to join us on Logical. Thank you, Tim, for hosting me. So let's move on to episode two, or maybe chapter two, in our special series of podcasts covering both the legal and psychological aspects of a number of very specific topics uh, with our two guests. Now, for episode two, we're talking divorce and separation here in the UAE. Now, the main theme of this podcast, Dr. Samar, if I can start with you, will really ultimately be the most, I guess, typical issues you see resulting from a divorce or a separation. Uh, how you counsel your clients through them. Can I begin with, uh, once again, a relatively vague question, but the typical issues that you see from your clients arising from marital issues? I mean, divorce can happen in an amicable way and in a not amicable way. The uh, the not amicable way is, is always a very difficult one. Uh, and when the couple are almost like uh, on a on a on a fighting mode, uh, and and sometimes not just a couple, but it's the wider family as well. Uh, in some cultures, of course, when you have a closely knit community, uh, there are other people involved in this. So it, it becomes very uh, very difficult for the couple, the children, of course, when when the children uh, when there are children. Uh, unfortunately, some of the children become sort of the, uh, the, the tool that the parents fighting with. And, and that's very sad to hear, to see and hear. Uh, so I had, you know, uh, not in this country, but in, in another country, you know, a couple where we were seeing them because of divorce and they actually had a physical fight in the waiting room. Um, and, and we had to have like uh, security, uh, get involved. Um, but this is, this, this describes to you the, the level of anger and upset and, uh, bet- between the couple. I'm, I'm talking about, you know, these parents, because I, I see them as parents of the children. These parents needing to sit at the table to have some, uh, agreement amongst themselves about the children, about visitation rights, uh, uh, about uh, information to share about the children. And it is quite sad to see that all this is, there's a price to pay uh, in these, these kinds of discord uh, amongst the couple where uh, the children are not getting discussed or the children interests are not uh, at the top of the list. Uh, it's more of a personal issue between the couple. Um, and uh, that is very hard to see. And you can see the effect of this uh, on the children, short term as well as long term. Sometimes it's, it's the teachers at the school who notice uh, the difficulties and actually ask for the children to be referred because of the children displaying behavior problems amongst their peer group or not paying attention to their studies or work or the children getting really quite depressed 
uh, and, and sometimes coming to school unkempt, uh, uh, not looking well, not feeding, not eating well. Um, so it, it has wider implications on the couple as well as on the children and uh, the siblings uh, on the whole. And so going back to that example of that couple, how, how do you help them? How, how can you help them if, if the anger and, I guess, hatred is so um, severe as to not being able to restrain themselves from a physical fight in the doctors? How do you help them? It's a great question, because when you said that, it was a physical fight in the waiting room. I looked at Ludmilla, you looked at me, and there was a visible and audible intake of breath there that, you know, it had got to that point. How, how on earth do you deal with that? I think sometimes, you know, for with some couples, you say, uh, seek legal advice first. Because once you have your mind at rest that some of the things are getting going to get protected and you know where you stand, it, you might be in a position to actually talk about the children and talk about the well-being of the children. Um, so it, it's really where to start with a couple. We, you know, some sometimes you are... You, you, Talk to the couple as a couple, trying to think of how you can improve the relationship. It depends on where the degree of the anger and upset is and whether it's a long term, uh, something that's been building up over the years. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. Or is it something that's impulsive that just happened in the waiting room where, in fact, there's so much positive to build on? So one never makes a judgment based on what you see at the time. You just need to really analyze uh, things uh, and and start where with a solution that is appropriate for that couple in that situation. Whether it might be that the legal one is the first one, um, it might be that uh, remediation is is uh, the way forward. It might be that the couple is una- are unable to talk about their relationship, but they are able to talk about the children and the arrangements for the children. So you you start with arrangements regarding that behavior management, where the couple can work. Uh, around the children, but not around themselves at that particular point until they're ready for it. Um, so where you start is depends on the circumstances and the couple involved. And so do you see these kind of divorces or, or uh, issues that lead to divorces uh, being uh, somewhat different or particular to this region, uh, be it because we're all sort of strangers, many of us are strangers here, this is not our home turf. Because it's one thing when you have a family and you have a family discord and you're surrounded by family and you're surrounded by lifelong friends and, and, and support that support network. And it's another thing when you live in a place like Dubai where, I mean, some of us have lived here for a very long time, but even those of us who have lived here for a long time, it does happen. It's just a fairly transient place. So a lot of our friends, or long-term friends, might not be around anymore. So we don't even have that kind of network of, of friends to tap into for... Uh, just you know, just to, to lend their ears to us, or to vet our uh, vent our frustrations, or just to hold our hands, or just to uh, to comfort, or even just open uh, or uh, make a couch available for a night or two. So we don't have as much of that here as perhaps we would in in um, in our home countries and home um, cities. So do you see any any I guess? divorce issues that are in particular are particular to this region because be it because these are muslim it's a muslim families or mixed couples or because there are young couples that are from the region are there any kind of peculiar issues or cases that you have seen that 
that kind of are more specific or interesting to this region? I think the region is so diverse that it's really hard to to you know to say that there is something specific. You know, you have the diversity in uh, expats here, uh, marriages of uh, couples coming from different countries themselves. Uh, and then you have uh, people who have been expats, but have been expats here for a long time, generation wise. So, you, you know, you see people who, whose parents were born here and then you have local people. So it's such a diverse community. Uh, I think, you know, the thing that what happens with couples, for example, the expats, is that when one decides to uh, leave the marriage, uh, then the issues arise where they might return back to their home country. And then uh, the issue arises, the children are not going to have uh, access or visitation on a regular basis just because of the distance and the, the mileage involved. Uh, you might have parents who decide to divide the children, to take one child to one country, staying with one parent, and another child staying with the other parent. So maybe there are wider, more bigger issues than the ones you you, you know you face when when they're living in the same city, for example. Uh, so, so these are difficulties, and I think, as you said, you know, expats might not have the the, the, the community support that they might have in their own home country. Um, uh, or family, you know, you, you, lots of expats are standalone here with with their own um, family unit. Um, so these are all issues that you know are difficult and not being familiar, maybe as we said, with the law, with the legal side. And I think there's more of a reason to actually, uh, uh, in, you know, empower people with with what they should do um, in advance of these problems happening. Well, you know, it's interesting. You used um, the word empower and and seeking advice timely uh, to perhaps have that sort of roadmap to see how to, uh, to to manage their way into the new the new chapter of their lives um, as part of the divorce separation. And I think empowerment uh, could be there, but equally so. I think in the the information or education is important to understand that in some cases, in many cases, the options actually can be quite limited. So it's the couple example that you described, because it didn't take place here, I could see, and we have seen this, where they both put on boxing gloves and go at each other, because at the end, uh, it's uh, what they're fighting for is like, it's at the minimum 50-50, minimum, right? That's what they're fighting for. But in most cases, they some one or the other side wants a little more, uh, from that, whereas in, for example, here under if it's a Muslim family or a Muslim couple under Sharia, the options are different, and uh, we have counseled a number of women who have um, uh, who are preparing for divorce, wanting a divorce, your uh, uh, separation, upset, angry because of the discord that's going on in their families, in particular, perhaps with their husbands, like cheating or uh, taking other wives. Um, and so people are very upset and they want, and we have seen a number of them that come with us wanting to put those boxing gloves on and go start fighting. But uh, in fact, and the advice we provide to them is because in legal terms, their options here are more limited than they were, than they would be, for example, in a different jurisdiction in terms of what they can demand as, as alimony or financial support uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, in terms of what they can demand and expect, uh, in terms of guardianship and custody. Uh, so in many other jurisdictions, for example, 
guardianship and custody and one are one and the same. Number one, so there's no difference. Guardianship is is the, sort of the legal right uh, and ultimate decision making for over the children's um, lives, and then custody is more physical, if you will, possession of the kids. And in other jurisdictions, custody and guardianship are one the same. Uh, one and two, the default is that in a very at, at basically worst or best, however you want to look at it, is that in terms of parents' uh, right over the children, it'll be fifty-fifty. But in many cases, the woman gets the priority and um, uh, over the children and so we see a lot of um, a lot of cases here where the women come and they're very upset and they want to be able to to divorce but uh, in fact legally speaking in terms of the financial arrangements that they can expect there's nothing in divorce here in the sharia there isn't really there's just very limited alimony for the children but not for the wife and so in and in under sharia whatever is yours is yours whatever is mine is mine so therefore let's say we see many, many cases like this. You have a stay-at-home mom and uh, a breadwinner dad, and then fast forward 15, 20 years, they get divorced, and so all the, in many cases, the dad is the one who has the bank account, and so the properties are in his name, and as they live together, as far as they live together, it's all sort of communal and, and, and um, equal until they're no longer wanting to stay together. And so there is this expectation, oh, well, obviously I will get 50% of the estate. Well, you don't. A divorce here, you don't. So if the house is in the husband's name, then it remains to be his, and you don't have any rights to it. If the husband has a bank account into which his salary and his savings and commissions and bonuses and end of service have been deposited, that money is his. And so the wife is has only what she has earned and what is in her name. So a lot of people don't know that. So they would come to us, I want a divorce. I mean, fair enough, and uh, at a human level, you understand and you sympathize and you want to support them, but at a legal level and, and practical level, there's it's important to educate them, and that's what we do is that that's fine, you just need to know, this I need to prepare yourself, that in a Sharia divorce, financially, you're on your own, and then legally with regards to the children, depending on the age of the children and depending on the sex of the children, uh, they, uh, the, but ultimately, the father has, by default, has legal guardianship to the children, and always, and you cannot waiver that, you cannot change that. That's under Sharia, which means the father has a legal right over the children and and the decision making over where they live, where they go to school, and so on and so forth. That's in legal terms, right? And so the mother has a physical custody, depending on the age of the children as well. Uh, which basically means, okay, well, I, they can live with her. But if the mother doesn't work, she doesn't, she cannot really support them. And yes, in that particular case, if the father wants the children to stay with the mother, then he has the obligation to pay for the children while they live with the mother. But as you said, so many of these divorces are so acrimonious, unfortunately, and so uh, heated and emotional that, uh, you know, often parents use children as tools. Uh, just to get at each other or just to get their side of the of the bargain and so it, we've seen many cases where the father for example i mean you know that the mother has close relationship with the children based on on their descriptions and uh, the mother would want the children to stay with her and she, the children would want to stay with her and ultimately the father as well is not perhaps as much involved in the children but just because legally speaking he has a default right to the children he will play that card 
And, uh, and it's, it's very, it's heartbreaking to have to advise somebody that, Hey, listen, we understand the, your situation, but in legal terms, you just need to know this is what the system is. And this is, and you need to know that so that you can plan your actions with that in mind. We've had a number of families, you Muslim families, uh, most of whom, not all, but most of whom uh, are of different nationalities. So people that in other jurisdictions, they perhaps would, uh, divorces would be dealt with differently. Uh, and, but here it's as long as they divorce here, it will be subject to Sharia, even if though this will change, this is changing now with the new laws. Uh, so in those cases, we just, it's, it's equally important to educate them, but it's educate them, not necessarily to empower them to put their boxing gloves on and go start punching and fighting, but rather to manage their expectations and to be wise in terms of how they manage uh, this dispute in order to ensure that they ultimately end up with what matters to them most, which is in most cases is the children. Uh, so, so, so education is important, but in particular in our practice, what we've seen is that it's equally important to help people understand uh, that their options may be limited and that therefore they should learn to manage their expectations. You're quite right, Ludmilla, and divorce can be sometimes like a volcano. And when the volcano erupts, we know how destructive it is because uh, the, the content is so hot and it's, it's very destructive. What, what is important in the divorce uh, is uh, information, as you quite rightly mentioned, but also information to be given when the volcano has settled when uh, or before the volcano erupts, even better. So you're well informed about all the, the, the pros and cons and the roadmap map is clear, not at the time when the, the volcano is erupting and you can't have, a, a, your vision is very foggy. It's actually when your vision is clear because uh, that will help in the right decision making. And, and I think, you know, it is a, a lot of the time with a couple is to actually talk about all the pros and cons of different scenarios and all the different solutions. And it's up to them then to decide which solution to, to choose, whether to stay in the marriage despite of things happening that the person didn't like because on in balance it is uh, uh, much more positive than actually uh, acting and making a decision when one is angry. Decisions when one is angry are never the right ones. Um, so one has to settle and think clearly and then make the right decisions. And, and know the rights, one's rights and pros and cons, as you mentioned, um, that, that will help the person. Um, and, and as I mentioned, you know, because I am a child psychiatrist, uh, it is important that the children are not the ones paying the price. And, uh, you know, I tell sometimes parents, what, what if in 20 years you see your son or daughter uh, suffering because 20 years earlier you did not address these things? Um so, so you need to think of all these things now rather than uh, wait in 20 years to see somebody paying the price for, for the actions you, you've made. I'm not saying that the right solution is to stay together because sometimes with some couples, and I hear it also from the children, that the best thing that happened in that was that the parents did separate and divorce. Because, and I'm talking about couples where things were really not working well. It wasn't the right match. And the children were actually paying even a higher price uh, with a couple being together. So one has to really balance everything. I'm not saying that the right thing is always staying together either. But you're right. And talking about the information and having a roadmap, 
uh, one of uh, the other cases that we had was quite interesting. I think it's very pointed to what you said. It's an American family who um, came here. In fact, they were both fairly, fairly accomplished professionally. But at some point in time, they met at a graduate school in the U.S. and uh, the father was um, an executive, a very senior executive, and it was he was moved here from the U.S. Um, because of his job and. And so, but because they had, I think, three children and they were kind of growing up, they were, I think, teenagers at that point, so but kind of early teens. And um, at some point, the mother had stopped working because obviously taking care of the three children, uh, though, remember, they met at the graduate school. So back in the old days, they were quite well accomplished. Uh, and so at some point, as happened so often, as the case with so many families, where one or the other parent decides, okay, well, we'll stay at home and take care of the kids. Kids, And so in that case, it was the woman whom we represented. And uh, so they moved here with with the husband's job. And she wasn't working with her three children. And those of us who have lived here long enough would know what that means. So therefore, it was the father that was not just the breadwinner, but he was also the so-called the sponsor, using the UE term. Which means what? So the visa it was on him. The children are on his visa, the wife is on his visa, and then the children are in school on the basis of the visa that is where the father is the sponsor. And then the car that they bought or rent, actually, I think rented, it was in his name. The house that they rented was in his name. Uh, the phone number, the phone lines and all that were in his names. The bank accounts were in his names. Uh, everything was in his name. And, you know, it, this is perhaps a normal arrangement and it would have been perfectly fine in, in the U.S. in the event of a divorce. But all of a sudden, uh, the wife found out that the husband, well, actually, he told her that he was leaving her because he, and this was just only a year into uh, living in their in life in the UAE, is because the husband was having an affair and with somebody in the office and decided to, to leave. And so it wasn't just an affair. He basically told her that he wanted a divorce and, and, and just, uh, kind of <laughs> have a break. Uh, and so, and this woman comes to us and at the end, she's so lost because she has nothing in legal terms and practical terms that she, that's hers. The house that they, where they live is in his name. I think don't, only the car was in, in her name. Uh, the phone, the phones themselves, the phone plans were in his name. The bank accounts were in his name. Uh, and, uh, uh, I mean, everything, the visas were in his name. And so, um, she felt very, very vulnerable on so many fronts, not only because this is happening to, uh, to a family that had been together for so many years and had already teenage children and, but also happening to her who once used to be a professional woman and, and, and sort of an, made a choice to put her career on hold to support her husband and perhaps even move the countries to support him. And then they come here. And, and so here he's leaving her for you know, a younger person. And then and she's got no, no, no career of her own, but more importantly, she doesn't even really have funds, immediate funds to kind of support herself. Now it's not to say that he completely cut her off. It was more just her realization that, Oh my goodness, I have nothing of my own. <laughs> so if he wants to disconnect my phone line, he can. If he wants to basically change the locks in the house, he can. And if he wants uh, he to stop giving me money, he can. Now, it didn't, it wasn't that acrimonious in that case. It was more we were advising her on how to just actually do uh, the separation. We helped with the settlement agreement and 
and ultimately worked as almost as mediators between the two of them, uh, which in their case helped. But it was that. It was realization that you, even for a non-Muslim families, but because we're foreigners here, uh, oh my goodness, I have nothing of my own. I feel very exposed. I feel very vulnerable. So I think education in that case, and that's what I would love for more people to perhaps, you know, hopefully listen to this podcast and and know that anyone who either is planning to move here or is planning to get married or it's not too late, just remember to have things of your own. And that basically was kind of our advice. Okay, so now before you move forward, you need to start, have, here's your roadmap. You know, open up your own bank account. Uh, perhaps get your own phone line. I mean, just basic things that we all require to survive here with. Uh, so I just wish that more people had that because not having these kind of tools and feeling yourself being so dependent on someone else, I think leads to so much more emotional instability and distress. Perhaps it only exacerbates uh, the, the couple's existing issues. And so yeah, I don't know if you've seen much of that in your practice, but you know, I just... That is a perfect example, a classical example, where information is power. Had she only had that information, it would have been a lot less emotionally taxing. Uh, and in in a situation where that's already very emotionally depressing when you know the family is falling apart. No, I, I totally agree. And and you know another example is uh, somebody who whose husband actually suddenly died, and it was unpredicted, uh, unpredictable at all that it wasn't of ill health, so they didn't sort of plan anything. And he, uh, he died suddenly. Uh, and again, you know, one of the first thing, things that the phone was registered in his name and, uh, she had, uh, the bank account was, uh, frozen. So she had no access to money. Uh, and she was in a di- very distraught, grieving, uh, mother of uh, two children whose husband died suddenly. And then she had all these problems on top of the grief. And, uh, w- which was very difficult to deal with. Uh, and, and as I said, you know, you, you not, you don't prepare for these things when you come as a young couple, uh, happily married and you think, you know, uh, we all have traumatic things happening in our lives. Um, and, and the more prepared you are, the, the better. But it, it was very, um, very difficult for her, uh, for her phone to be cut, having to register for a new phone and not have access to, to money immediately, you know, to, to pay day-to-day bills uh, because uh, the bank account was frozen. Yeah, the, sort of having the right information at the right time, you know, as we talk about it, comes brings brings back so many memories of our own uh, cases here and uh, that, um, you know, I wanted to share another story where, it's a European couple from Norway, a Norwegian couple, and and they were married for 20 some years, and then they decided to get divorced here. Well, in Norway, in the case of a divorce, it's fairly simple. It's 50-50, and it's, so everything is equitable, and, and there isn't really much you can do. So, And then and that will also include uh, respective, I guess, spouses' businesses, right? So if the, one or the other spouse who both had businesses... Uh, even though the other spouse's name would not be on that business, but under the laws of many countries, particularly in Europe, all that would be shared, more or less 50-50, so in general terms. And so here in this case, the the woman uh, was being divorced, the husband applied uh, filed for divorce, and so she was ready to go with her guns blazing and putting her boxing gloves on and let's fight, I'm going to get everything to the penny, including the business that was his business that was based here in the UAE. And so 
Interestingly enough, under the, the, the relevant laws, if substance, substance of anything to do, for example, in Europe, if they were to do this divorce in Europe, and everything regarding their assets in Europe would be divided 50-50, and that's fairly easy. There isn't really much of a fight around that. And then, and with regards to any of the assets here, the law does provide for the application of the law, although you can choose the law of your own country to apply here. But, uh, but it's a very, it's, it's a fairly expensive and complicated process because you basically ultimately need to educate a judge here, a local judge here, of what the laws in Norway, for example, are. And that's the reality of it. And so for all those who haven't had proceedings here, everything in local courts is in Arabic. So now you take your divorce matter and you try to apply a foreign law. Uh, in uh, perhaps you know, maybe drafting in a language other than English, and then you have to educate a local judge here in Arabic about that law. Uh, and so in this case, the woman was going to fight, and she was really eager, and she just said, I don't care, I don't care. I want to take the last penny. I want to fight. I want to do all this. And and so we advised her not to do it. We advised her that it would be very expensive, and it would be time-consuming, and it would be difficult because ultimately... Uh, under the um, European law, we could claim the husband's business here and the 50% of his business here, but it will be a fairly long and expensive process for us to convince the court, educate the court about what the law, for example, in Norway was and how it would apply here. And uh, it's, we advised a lot, among other things, for, for them and our client to seek uh, counsel from the likes of, of Dr. Sama. And you just, you know, we can only do so much. We're only lawyers here. We couldn't reason with her. And so she just, she went with her guns blazing and it was just bleeding money because it's expensive. It's expensive. It's, it's time consuming. It's frustrating to go and deal with courts. Uh, so even though substantively she could rely on the laws that she wanted to rely, but procedurally and practically it was so expensive and cumbersome that had she only listened, <laughs> had she only listened, it would have, uh, it would have, it would have resulted in a very, in a very different outcome and much sooner. But we see in divorces, it's just, it, you know, people obviously decide to separate for a reason. And uh, when you try to reason with them, it's for us in particular, for lawyers, very difficult to reason with them. Often it's, uh, at the end, we have to let them do what they want to do. But I just, would have so loved for that couple and so many of our clients to have gone and sought professional medical advice and counseling from uh, from Dr. Salman and like her her colleagues because I think it would really really help them and at the end you know, at the end you fast forward and when all that heat subsides they come to their senses and they decide oh, okay well let's actually do it differently there's an easy way of doing it and so I think in cases like this if they had actually sought medical uh, medical counsel along the way, it would have helped them diffuse their fuse perhaps earlier. I'm, I'm just thinking about the, the change in societies and communities uh, across different countries, really. And, and you know, like in the past when one wanted to do research, uh, uh, one went to the local library uh, and, and maybe to the city library to find the papers and the, the books that one wanted to get information from. And things have changed, of course. You can do it online. You can Google everything. You can get your papers on the screen uh, very quickly. 
Now, with societies and communities, things have changed too. In the old days, you know, you had support from the local community. You had wider members of the family. You had these stories and anecdotes about this person uh, getting divorced and what they did and another person getting divorced. So you had this input of information from the wider community. Whereas I think nowadays, uh, a lot of the couples are standalone. They're independent. They move into another country. They don't have their support. Uh, and that's where I think the, the information is even more needed than uh, when you're getting it locally in uh, where you're living in your own country. Um, so there's more need of it um, than than in the past, than maybe 50 years ago, when you relied a lot on these anecdotes and stories, uh, of, of real stories. But what I want to have that sort of magic magic recipe that's available to us here where we can convince someone, like the examples I gave you, that you please go seek advice what, what, what how do you how do you sell that idea because just so many of our clients would benefit so much if they only could be convinced to go and talk to a professional could help them see things differently and uh, i don't know how how do you how do you convince someone to go and for example consult with you or, or your colleagues how what, what's the magic bullet is your one uh, I mean, we did talk about stigma earlier, and you know, it is important to highlight for whoever's coming is that uh, it is totally confidential. Uh, this there is uh, the, the the whoever the professional is who's helping is trying to help them make their own decisions, but it's uh, actually uh, putting across a to them the roadmap that they they, they can choose from. And I, and I think the recipe, like with any, uh, any recipe, it has lots of different ingredients. Uh, I don't think it's just, uh, the counseling or the psychiatric help, or it's actually the ingredients, uh, are, uh, various and including the legal one, because if I have some legal, good legal advice, it might put my mind at rest. My anxieties will be less. So it's addressing your anxieties from a different angle too. Uh, so it, it is a multidisciplinary sort of input and help. And equally so for our cases, if, if we could just, and we've tried, trust me, we've tried so many times, that's why I asked the question, we could just convince one parent or the other to go and, and talk to a consultant or a psychiatrist like yourself and so that they can understand what's happening, for example, to the children in as part of this dynamic. Uh, and, and in particular, the detriment that is sort of carried through to the children as part of this. And, and ironically enough, it's according to them, in most cases, it's the children that they're fighting for, that they're doing all this in the interest of the children. But in fact, from an outsider sitting in the sidelines, you see that it's the children are the one who are suffering. And so if they could only be convinced to go and, and talk to someone who could show them that, listen, whatever you're doing, in fact, is not helping the children. So, Because to us, what they're selling to us is that we're doing it in the name of the children, for the children, to protect the children. But in reality, you know, not being a professional in your field, but you know that it's, you know, the children are not benefiting from this. So, so often we wish that if they could just understand that and see that from that perspective, that it would, it would change their legal position. It would change their expectations for the better of, of everyone. But it's like you said, it's, it's a multidisciplinary, uh, I guess, uh, issue so it's not it's not easy for us to 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 figure out uh, and 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 see these people literally leading to sort of destruction on all fronts only because they refuse to um, you know, to, to to consult a professional 
Can I come back to the idea of community for a second, Dr. Sama? Over the last seven or eight months, most countries in the world have been locked down in one way uh, or another because of COVID-19, the coronavirus. And what we've seen is couples perhaps having to spend more time together than, than they otherwise would have done. Uh, people cooped up together using the dining table as a home office. And you can see where friction may arise. And I'm wondering what your experience has been during these COVID-19 times and what you've seen in terms of couples coming to see you, whether um, divorce or potential divorces, uh, divorce cases have risen. What's your experience been? Um, we know, for example, that uh, the rate of, during COVID-19, uh, a Anxiety uh, has risen a, a great deal amongst young people and the parents. And there are lots of reasons for that. You know, it's uh, worried about one's health, about other members of the family falling ill, about being locked down at home, uh, not uh, not mixing with your peer group or with your friends and relatives, not being hugged. You know, I think it's a major thing, uh, not being hugged and hugging other people uh, really hard and, and actually not just that you're just worried about them infecting you so you're not hugging them and you're actually very cautious about even getting a bit closer to them um, and so you it's avoidance as well uh, so these are all I think uh, uh, things that have emerged in in COVID-19 um, and and then we know that domestic violence has increased, um, that abuse has increased. I know that it, uh, uh, that uh, this is the case. Um, abusers have felt more uh, confident that you know the children are not going to school, they're not going to report uh, what is happening. Uh, uh, so their their contact with the outside world is not happening. You know, children who get abused, they report it a lot of the time to the teachers or. Uh, uh, maybe to the social worker in, in, if they're involved with social services. Um, so that, that hasn't been happening, of course. So they, the abuse had increased. And of course, irritability in the home environment, uh, had increased too. Because, you know, some families live in a very confined area, you know, a one bedroom flat or, uh, with little kids running around and the, the parents having to do their work from home. Um, you, you can see how the irritability and the uh, anger and uh, increases in the in the family life, um, and and being exposed to to each other of uh, twenty four hours a day is, is has been very hard on some families. You know, one needs one's escape, whether it's to go to work or to go to school or to meet with your peer group, have that support, and this all it wasn't happening. So uh, I remember there was a piece of research a long time ago among doctors that the highest divorce was when doctor, if doctors were married to doctors and they went on holiday, this is the time when they actually decided to divorce because they were working so hard and they spent a, a portion of their time together when they were working. And then suddenly during a holiday, they realized how different they were. Um, so it is healthy to, to have different pockets in one life of where you're spending different times with different people. So if this is not happening, you know, it, it can cause uh, uh, aggressive behavior at home. Uh, so yes, COVID-19 has been a difficult time. And so have you seen many more cases come to you because of it? And uh, if so, how have you been able to handle them without being able to see patients <laughs> physically like we used to do before? 
Uh, I have been, uh, I mean, a lot of the practice during the, the, the lockdown uh, hasn't been face to face. Luckily, I mean, I think we, we, one has to, I like to always think about the positives. Luckily, we have uh, platform meetings uh, with patients, and I think that's been great, including teaching actually medical students and masters. So I don't know if we had the lockdown without all the technology, what would have happened? Um, because uh, th- this has been possible to actually see individuals on Zoom or on Teams. Uh, and, and actually, that is quite nice because you see the young person in their room with their teddy bears. You are able to talk to family members who cuddle up on the same sofa to talk to you, whereas in some uh, clinic consultation, the young person comes just with a mom or dad and I don't see family members. I, only, I also see their pets uh, and they, they're, they're very proud to show me their paintings at home. So there, there is, I like to think there is always a positive element. There's nothing to substitute a face-to-face consultation, but I, I think there are also positives uh, uh, for the online consultations too. I guess as well, you get to see firsthand where somebody lives and that, that must help you. There must be some triggers there where you think, well, I'm, okay, that points in a, in a specific direction. Mm, absolutely. Mm. Uh, you know, I have, uh, I, I see the children's bedrooms, they, their paintings or their dolls on the, on the shelf behind their desk and, and we have a chat about this and, and that's a nice entry to a consultation too. So, uh, so I, presumably it has been effective. Therefore you can consult and you can help people and assist people even in this sort of digital format. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, so if yeah. that's the case, I wonder if that makes your service a lot more broadly available perhaps, uh, to people who otherwise would not want to, or would not want or would not know how to avail themselves of or could not because of, let's say, somebody lives somewhere far and it would take them two hours to drive to see you, uh, for example, or if they are in a different country, uh, or if that stigma that you talked about is they don't want to be seen or to even be sort of physically affiliated with a place um, that you know, sees that, that treats you know, or deals with mental uh, mental issues. So I would imagine that that, in many ways, opens up a lot more portals for people out there to uh, actually seek counsel uh, without having to deal with the inconvenience, the drive, and the stigma, and sort of the physical kind of experience. Uh, so I, I, I hope that's 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 the positive that you were talking about. Mm. That you're sort I, I, of- I think you're right. It it is one of the positives. I remember when I worked at Guy's Hospital. And we had like a, a child psychiatric unit there. Uh, you know, families would say, we, we really like the idea that we're going to Guy's Hospital, which was a general hospital with all the specialties. They didn't have to mention that they're coming to. And this was in the UK. So we're talking about stigma, you know, in other countries too. Um, so uh, whereas in another clinic, for example, where I worked in the UK, it was uh, a standalone child psychiatric clinic where, you know, you, you would say, I'm going to that clinic. Uh, people find it easier and then you can do it in your own time. You can start with a young person on their own privately and then on Zoom, for example, or Teams, you can actually ask, uh, invite the parents towards the end to, of the session to actually uh, the last 15 minutes to see their views and to share with them, uh, the agreed things that you agreed with the young person to share with the parent. Um, so it, it gives a different, different perspective to things. I mean, that's encouraging to hear because I could, again, once again, I could see how many of our clients would actually benefit from the ability to reach out to someone else um, without having the excuse of, oh, well, 
the timing doesn't work, I don't drive, or I'm too far, or I don't want to be affiliated with this. Um, so, you know, I guess my, my job is is just to, to figure out, to continue to figure out a way to reason with people and to convince them to, to see, to seek uh, help, uh, because we deal with a lot of family cases, and, and sadly, most of the time they do lead to divorces, and it's just very difficult for... You know, not just for the family, but even for us, for practitioners trying to counsel and guide them. And um, when they lose reason, it's very difficult for everyone. So I just hope that to, to now knowing that we're all, I think, as a population, a world population, a lot more receptive to being able to seek counsel in this new, this new, new era, new format, which is uh, via digital means. So hopefully more people will avail themselves of that, uh, of that help. I'm sure the same applies to to getting legal uh, support or legal advice, because uh, you might not want to formally be seen going to to a law firm to to discuss something legally, but it might come much easier, uh, closer to heart, to actually doing a an online consultation where you want to clarify some things to give you a better roadmap. It has been, and uh, to be honest with you, after the the lockdown, we were all wondering how many people would actually want to come back again into the physical form and would want to actually meet personally because it was so convenient uh, to just do it um, uh, online. And you know, the technology had been around for a long time. We just mindset wasn't there to embrace it. Uh, but after the lockdown, there were, you know, we all did the, there was a massive paradigm shift. So suddenly that became kind of the new norm. And we we're wondering, is that going to, to be the, the norm? But uh, as you rightfully said, we're all humans and there's really no replacement for physical contact. Um, so people still, people have come back and they do want physical interaction. But by the same token, it just, you know, so many more people are now have access uh, to, um, to seeking legal help as well with us by, by not having uh, to, to fly and to come and see us in person and by now also, also not having to kind of adjust to this, you know, what is it going to be like to do this? consultation or meeting online uh, it's now kind of a ubiquitous experience in our lives finally let me ask you a question Ludmilla we've seen lots and lots of revisions to uh, legal principles to uh, laws uh, in the last couple of weeks laws that uh, have been revised and taken many of us by surprise let's just run through uh, the relevance of those to this podcast yeah uh, so in relevant terms uh, we were talking in this particular episode about divorces so the UAE did amend its personal status law the um, amendments were published in the official gazette just um, a few weeks ago on November 30th um, so the law is now in effect and as far as divorces are concerned the law clearly now states that it's the law of the state where the marriage was registered that would apply to the divorce, uh, which is different from how the laws were drafted before, before the laws provided for the law uh, of the husband uh, that would apply. And you can see kind of the sort of the potential issues that uh, would arise and have arisen because of that, because so many of us here come from different countries and hold different passports and um, having to to um, have the laws of the husband apply is often not not what uh, even the couple would want to have applied to them, to be honest with you. And so now the law clearly makes it, kind of brings it more neutral uh, and uh, uh, clearly brings it to like the, the, the state where the marriage was initiated. 
Uh, and so, uh, and that, the way the law is drafted and the reasonable presumption is that this particular law applies to everyone equally. And this actually talks about non-nationals. Therefore, the presumption is that it applies to all uh, non-nationals. In other words, not just non-Muslims, but also uh, the non-national Muslims. So uh, anyone in, the, let's say, from a different country that um, is registered in the UAE as a Muslim, in the past they would have been subject to Sharia under this new law. At least the presumption is that they will have a choice of what law to apply, whether they want Sharia to apply or whether they want the law of the country where the marriage was registered to apply. Uh, so that's one. And then on the back of that, therefore, it's important for all those couples who are either thinking of getting married or are married, uh, but perhaps are married in, in countries or in places uh, where they, they chose to marry or, or register their marriage purely of convenience and they don't really have a relationship with that country. So if you have one of those marriages, let's say you got married in, in the Seychelles or the Mauritius, uh, because of the convenience and exotic uh, experience, uh, then just know now that in the event of a divorce, it would be if you are here in this country registered under that marriage certificate, it would be the laws of, of that country, let's say Mauritius, um, that would apply. So for any of those couples um, who are thinking of getting married or who have been married and are find themselves in this situation, it's advisable then to go and ratify their marriage certificate in the country where they're from or whose laws they want to have applied uh, and then update their records here on the ba- on the basis of that marriage certificate. Uh, so I think that's a very positive development because it does provide a lot more option and um, to your greater segment of the population in terms of the choice of law. And it also kind of makes it more neutral in between with, with regards to the couple in terms of whose law applies. Um, so significant step forward. And um, I'm, I'm sure there will be many interesting case studies that we can discuss in, in the future podcasts. Uh, Uh, on the basis of how this particular law is being implemented. That's part two in our special series of logical podcasts, The D Word, Divorce. Our special guest, child and adolescent consultant psychiatrist, Dr. Summer Al-Abd, was with us today. Dr. Summer is a fellow of the Royal College of Psychiatrists in the UK. She's been practicing medicine in the United Kingdom since 1985 and in Dubai since 2015. Thank you so much for your expertise. Thank you so much for hosting me. As always, our legal expert here on Logical, Ludmilla Yamalova, managing partner here at Yamalova and Plethka. As ever, Ludmilla, thank you for your insight and expertise. It was a true pleasure and a very insightful discussion. Thank you to you both, Sama and uh, Tim. If you have a legal question you'd like answered in a future episode of Logical, or if you'd like a consultation with a qualified UAE-experienced legal professional, you can now WhatsApp us directly, 009715252516111, or you can head to lylawyers.com and click the contact button.